So go ahead and do this if you would. First of all, thank you, Pastor Jim. Um, go ahead, around your table, very quickly, say um, your name. I think that's a good place to start because there are several new people here. Um, so say your name, uh, maybe how many kids you have, if you have them, what you do for a living. Uh, you see it here in front of you. It says dirtiest job, but I'm going to change that. What I want you to do is I want you to say the, one of the scariest things you've ever done. All right, so I'm not, I, I, that could be bungee jumping or jumping out of an airplane. That could be getting married. Um, anybody? Anybody dumb enough to raise your hand right now? Because I will take a picture. I'm just kidding. Um, so that's what I, that's, I want you to go around very quickly. I'm going to give you literally three, four minutes for everybody to do this. Your name, how many kids you have, or if you're married, what your family uh, looks like, what your job is, and then also one of the scariest things that you've ever done. You've got three, four minutes. Go, quick. All right, that's it. That's all we have time for. Um, if you didn't get around the table, that's okay. What we'll do is uh, later, maybe later on this evening, you'll have that opportunity to be able to share. Um, I just want a few of you. Um, I need like five volunteers to stand up. All right, you're going to share your name, scariest thing you've done, because we, really w we would rather hear about the scariest thing you've done than your family. All right. Let's, let's be honest, okay? Go. Nice. You just, like, your man points went up on that. All right? Eric. You just lost some points on your, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We have a lot of fostering in this church, a lot of foster parents. That's amazing. Anybody else? A couple more. Yes. This is Tom. Say, I'm Tom. The taint, not your lungs. Like, you weren't. Okay. Anybody else? Here's, here's one of the scariest things that I think that we, um, we don't even do today. And I just want you to go there with me for a moment. Think about this. In fact, I even brought the illustration uh, for us to look at. For men today, I'm going to show you something to represent one of the scariest things that we actually don't do, I think. Here they are. I'm not talking about babies. I think one of the scariest things that we um, struggle with today is changing shoes. Now, these were my, son, my oldest son. I have a 12-year-old, 10, 8, and 5-year-old. These were Carson's. He's my 12-year-old, um, and he wore these all the time. We just thought these were, I love little baby shoes, right? Uh, kids are really cute. They have cute feet until about 7 years old, and then they're ugly. Um, and am I wrong? Thank you. Um, so, you know, you look at it, little baby shoes, the bottom are perfectly clean because they can't even, we, we put them on them for our own benefit because we think it looks cool. They're not even walking. We stick them on, you know, stick shoes on them, day three, something like that. My other son, who's now five, um, he ended up wearing them for a while as well. We struggle with shoes. And here's what I mean by that. Um, so many people in church today, especially, I think, men, whether it's because the culture, the society, even churches today, maybe they don't allow us to, but we think that we're spiritual. We think that we have a relationship with God. We put on the spiritual shoes, and then we never grow anymore. 
and we stay wearing the same size spiritual shoes that we've always worn. And they're not even worn out on the bottom. They're not dirty. They look the same way they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And because of, because of that, a lot of men today look at it. They look at other men and they go, well, I don't really care about wearing those shoes. So why should I even try to discover or figure out faith? Why do I need to try to even determine if there is a God? And if so, what type of responsibility do I have to discover who I believe him to be and then what I should do in response? What does that look like? We struggle with this. We wear the same shoes over and over and over and over again. And people look at them and they go, well, what good are they? They're not even worn out on the bottom. These are 12 years old. They're not even worn out on the bottom, so obviously you don't use them very much. So why would I give my time and my energy to something like God? And so we've had this huge lapse in growth with, with men being biblical, godly, strong, powerful men because we're scared of changing shoes. And we need to be changing shoes, don't we? If we do it, we know that we do it in other ways. We do it physically, right? So I brought some examples. For some of us, we've grown and we actually put on, like we put on the shoes that we think are pretty cool, right? Some of you I know don't think these are cool. That's okay. You're not going to hurt my feelings. My wife bought them. Um, and so we, we change shoes for a certain reason. Um, for some of us, we actually, we've just grown maybe a little bit. So we've gone from this to maybe these and they actually are a little more worn, because we took some effort in a spiritual walk, but the problem was we did that initially right when we got married because the pastor that we met with made us. Well, he said, you're going to have to go through 12 weeks of counseling or I'm not going to marry you. And because we already told the woman we would marry them, we were more scared of not getting married than having to go through counseling. So we did it and we grew for a while, but then we stopped growing. Anybody? Amen. And so we've had a little bit of growth, but that's all we've had. For some of us, man, the people I just look at and I just respect so much, they're wearing these shoes because they're working, right? And they, it doesn't matter if it's cold and wet outside. It doesn't matter if they're cutting firewood. They throw on the working boot and they get going and they know what it is to have a relationship with God. And that's, what's, that's one of the scariest things. I wish we would just acknowledge it. One of the scariest things for men today is to say, you know what? I want to change spiritual shoes, I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow in my understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is. And so we just keep doing the same thing over and over. They say roughly 95% of people who even claim to have faith, they can't tell you how they've grown in their faith in the last decade. They're wearing the same blasted shoe. Do we really believe that that's how God created us? Do we really believe that God wants it? And that's why men today are exiting the church, by the way. You know how uncomfortable it is to try to, to, try to throw your honking size 13 into this. And so you show up at church and you hear these messages and you get your feathers ruffled or whatever it might be because it's not even comfortable. It's way too small on your foot. But it scares us to think about, well, what would it look like if I changed shoes? It actually may require more of me because people will think that I'm prepared to do more if I change shoes. God may expect more of me. God may want to use me for more than I've ever imagined before. It's one of the scariest things that we cope with today is changing shoes. 
And maybe that's where you are. That's really what, to me, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight and tomorrow morning. How do we get to a place of discovering more of who God is that makes us want to change shoes, to grow up, and so that they're worn out, right? We only have the little shoes from our kids, right, that we kept passing on, and now we're giving those away to other people because there, there ain't no more kids coming to my house, right? I should not have said that because we know it'll happen Sunday morning, I'm going to get up in front of all of you, and I'll be like, well, guys, um, here's what's going on. So God, I was just teasing. Um, We don't have any shoes larger than this, though. You want to know why? Because as the kids grew, you don't want to pass down those shoes, because those shoes are nasty. They're they're, they're all muddy. From my oldest son, they were all nasty. Once he turned about three, four, you just don't want them anymore. You don't want those shoes anymore because he wears them out. You buy them new ones when there are holes in the bottom of them, so you're not going to save those to give to the next kid. You're going to have to buy them new shoes at that point. And so sometimes I I wish we would wear our spiritual shoes out. I really do. What would it look like for you to go home tonight or tomorrow and say, hey, honey, I want to change shoes. She's going to be like, fine, go change shoes. I don't care. And you go, no, no, I want to change spiritual shoes. Because I feel like I've been wearing the same size my entire spiritual life, and I'm tired of it. So that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Shoes. I want us to change shoes. Why aren't we? Why, aren't we, why don't we have more energy um, to be able to change shoes, spiritual shoes? Why don't we have more energy to engage in our faith, to try to engage with who God is? Why don't we have more discipline in our faith? Why don't we have more strength in our faith to say the things that we know God's convicted, of, convicted us of, but we always step back a little bit and we're, we're, we're hesitant to do it? Um, I think one of the primary reasons, if we're honest, uh, and you can, you can write this down. We're going to go through a lot of slides, and if you're... If you're not new to Chapel Point, um, you know that I can go pretty fast. So guys, just get ready. I'm going to ask that you write them down because we know if you write down something, roughly 70 to 80% greater retention. We know that. So write it down. If you don't have a pen, raise your hand. If you, anybody need pens around their table? So, um, hey, Todd, if you would grab a bucket of pens and just go around, keep a hand up. He'll make sure that you guys get one. Um, and uh, we're going to run through a lot of different things. Here's one of the primary reasons, as we dive into this changing spiritual shoes, finding the purpose of our life out, discovering what that is. Um, One of the primary reasons that we're not willing, or we're not really having the discipline to change shoes anymore, is because I think we're tired. Two primary reasons. We're tired, right? Everybody just... Just keeps asking more and more and more of us. We don't have any more time in the day. We don't have any more finances, but there's more and more and more and more. My wife and I had that conversation last night. I was like, honey, we keep trying to do more and more and more for our kids. I think it's great that you actually love them. But either we have to reduce those things or we have to bring in more income. It's one of the two, right? And so that's why we don't have that luxury, though, with time, do we? We don't have more time to give. I think we're tired. I think we're worn out. Even our, even our vacations wear us out. Have you ever done that before? You go on vacation. Anybody come back from vacation more weary than when they left? Anybody? If you've ever been to Disney World, right? Like, who does that? 
And I'm going back because my wife looked at me really sweetly and said, we have to do this. And I said, oh my gosh, really? I, I come back and I'm worn out. I feel like I need a vacation from vacation. It's just It's exhausting. We're tired. We're tired. And the other thing is I think spiritually the reason that we're so unwilling at times to even examine if we need to change shoes, spiritually speaking, is because I think, honestly, a lot of us in church, we're bored. We're tired, we're bored. We're not being challenged. And then when we are challenged, we take offense to it. So then we just say, oh, I can't believe he said that. And so then we walk out, but then we go somewhere else. And then we're like, well, I'm bored, so you leave. But then when you go somewhere and you get challenged, you take offense to it. Like, that's seriously, that's how we are. We're, We're tired, we're bored, and so we're not willing to sometimes change spiritual shoes. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we really want? What do we want spiritually? What do we want of our life? What is that? And one of the things, and when we're asking that question, what do men want? One of the things that we're looking for is, I think we are looking for happiness. So you have to ask yourself, where are you looking for happiness? We'll cover that a little bit later on. I think a lot of guys, they're looking for a sense of meaning. They're looking for a sense of meaning. Um, They want to know that it's there at the end. They want to know that they had a life that mattered. They want to know that they were able to invest in other people. And so that's another way of saying that they're looking for a sense of purpose. We don't always say that, but this is what people are really wanting. Here's the thing is so many times we're trying to achieve these things. We're just trying to use the wrong things to achieve them. And so then we wonder why we never get there, right? That's how it starts. And so we just think that if we just keep getting more and more, when you chase the wrong thing, you're still chasing the wrong thing. But we're looking for a sense of purpose. We're looking for a sense of meaning. We're, we're looking for happiness in many ways. And so when we ask ourselves, what keeps us from getting what we really want? Um, I think one of the things that keeps us from that is called success sickness. It's one of the things that keeps us from that place. It's the disease of always wanting more but never being happy when you get it. Right? You're, it's the, let me use women as an illustration because we have no women here. All right? Let's all raise our right hand and say, I promise never to repeat anything pastor says. I'm just kidding. It's, it's the stereotype. It, it is a stereotype. It's the stereotype of what happens when the woman goes to the mall to buy a pair of shoes. They're so excited when they come home. But what, in a week, what do they want? Another pair of shoes. You spoke from experience. All right? It's the same thing. And then they get happy again, and then and this is the stereotype, right? We're the same way. We go, maybe you, I, I know, when I can tell you when I got my first power drill, right? And then I was like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm cool, right? I was like 20, living on my own, doing my thing. I just got out of college, and then I was like, I need, I need a saw. And then it just kept getting more and more. And I, felt, I thought I was feeling more and more cool because I could show my guys. They all had like a hammer. That was it. And I had all these tools. And I was helping to build stuff and helping to do things for people. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, it just got more and more and more and more. It doesn't matter. Now, if you want any of those tools at all, I'll give them to you. I don't care. You just have to come help do my house. You know, I just we look for it in the wrong ways. When you're looking for it in the wrong ways, it's always going to end up with a sense of failure. You're always going to have that sense of failure. Like, nothing's ever enough. I wish we would just own up to it. We're 
tired of chasing rabbits. It's that whole story. I've mentioned it numerous times here, preaching. You know, it's that whole thing of even if you end up winning the rat race, the problem is you're still a rat. Maybe you've heard that before. That's the struggle. We're running a rat race, and even when we win, we know we're not really winning because we're still a rat. And so we're struggling. Here's a, I want you to think about failure and success a little differently. When we talk about finding a sense of purpose in life, a sense of identity, I want you to think of it like this. Think of, think of failure as meaning to succeed in a way that doesn't really matter. Great. Good job. You're, you're 60 years old and you just ran a mile in seven minutes instead of 710. It didn't change anything eternally. Now I'm saying that because I was a runner. I'd like to say I'm still a runner, but I just haven't done very much of it. I would tell you it's because my knee is really hurt, but it's not. I just don't want to run right now. You know, but I think about that. I just I remember being in that place. I was I was I hit 30 and I was like, okay, I gotta do a sub 25K. I'm 30 years old. I gotta do it. I decided not to do it. I hit 33. I was like, oh man, I'm like old now. That's what I thought. Then I was like, I got to run a sub So I, I ran my 1917 5K, something like that. I died a few times in the midst of it. They revived me, and I didn't run for three years after. Why? And it didn't matter. We're, we're chasing the wrong things, right? That's why the average person in America, the average person who earns $50,000 said that they're going to be happy. They would be perfectly content if they earned hundred grand a year. It's the same all the way around. Every single study, the person who earns 100K says they'd be perfectly content with 200K. The person who earns a quarter million says, if I earn four to 500, it does get, the percentages get a little smaller the more someone makes. I really hurt for those people. Earning half a million, they say 800, they'd be okay. They'd really be happy then. The guy who earns a million a year, they say about a million and a half. We're never happy. And it's because we're chasing the wrong things. So how do we change that? How do we change that? You know, we look at what that means. How can we find success that matters? And I think one of the ways that we need to really find success that, success that matters is we need to know what really matters the most. We need to understand our greatest need. Our greatest need. Our greatest need is crucial for us to understand. A man's more innate need is his need to be significant, to find meaning and to find purpose. To find meaning and to find purpose. What is that sense of significance for you in your own life? life here's the greatest um if you really break down men i think very simply and by the way it's no different where you live right um i was doing something very similar to this in connecticut three weeks ago and i'm there to men's conference is roughly this size the difference is all those guys came from probably about 12 different churches because churches there if you have 150 people it's a mega church all right and because only two percent go to church regularly and so we're having the same conversations. 
They're all, these are all a bunch of finance people. Maybe some of you are finance. They're all hedge fund, hedge fund people. And they're there. I'm in Greenwich and Wilton. And I'm, we're talking about all these different things. And they had the same issues everybody else has. They're chasing after significance in all the wrong ways. 63% of them had been divorced. They have money beyond money. 63% though. They did a loose survey with no names. 72% struggled with depression. Over half of them had thought of suicide. We're chasing the wrong things. And so we need, to, we need to be willing to change our spiritual shoes and start being honest with ourselves. That's one of the greatest gifts that you could have for yourself today and tomorrow is to start being honest with yourself spiritually. Start being honest with yourself spiritually. Start being honest about whether or not you're leading your family. If you claim to be a man of God, are you truly leading your family? Or are you only doing, doing it partially as much as your wife will allow you maybe? Or maybe as much as you think your kids will tolerate maybe? It's one of the greatest gifts that you could give to yourself. Because the difference between men, I told you there's really just, there's one primary difference. It's a matter of how you're satisfying that need to be significant. How are you satisfying that need to be significant? What does that look like to you? Now, we already know that what our culture says. Our culture defines significance differently than we do as believers. Now, the, we know that the believers really should be impacting the, the world, and instead the world is impacting the church. We know how it's going, right? You got people today saying, well, you know, even our founding people in the country, they never intended for us to be Christian. I, I've been telling everybody this lately. Guys, learn your information. The people came to start this country to be devoted to Jesus Christ. Well over half of the people who signed the original constitution, that signed the constitution were believers in Jesus Christ and had gone to seminary. The first Bible, I was telling this to Pastor Jim the other day, the first Bible ever printed in the United States was commissioned to be printed by Congress in order to be put in schools. Because they knew that that's how that they would have a society and a culture that would be raised up with significance. And you go, Wow. And so we now are struggling because we're, we don't really allow ourselves to find significance in the right ways. The, the society says that maybe how intelligent you are, by how good looking you are, how much money you make, how strong you are. And we just, we have all these idols. Those, all these things can be idols. Every single one of them. A refrigerator is an idol for some people. Here's your false God. Anything that you run to other than Jesus Christ in times of need or when you're trying to find satisfaction or fulfillment, that's a false God. Some people, the gym is an idol for them. If they don't work out, they're not good spiritually. I'm not talking about being healthy. There's a difference there, right? For other people, it's money as long as they make enough. You know all this. And so we have to make sure that we define and discover significance in the right way. One of the passages that I think is so important, John chapter 15. Um, John, John chapter 15 talks about um, Christ being the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Now that's the key. If you remain in me, if you remain in Christ, you, you're going to bear more fruit than you can imagine. The baskets that you have under the tree aren't going to hold all the fruit is kind of what it's saying. But he says, apart from me, 
you can do nothing. And so we're chasing the wrong things, not knowing that really we're not going to produce any fruit, which is nothingness. Which is nothingness. So, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, we know how our culture defines significance. How about the Bible? How does the Bible define significance? What does that really look like? Well, one of the things that we need to understand is that we need to fulfill our purpose and our calling. And when we fulfill our purpose and our calling, we're going to learn so much more about who God is. God wants for us to bear fruit. God wants for us to bear spiritual fruit. And guys, if you really believe in a God, if you really believe that we didn't just happen to be able to be made this miraculously, then you need to understand that if you really want to find significance, you're going to do that when you start functioning how your creator intends for you to function. It's, it's hard if you've got a deck on the back of your house and the nails are starting to pop up because the guy who built the house was too cheap to use screws. Ugh. All right? You know what I'm talking about. And so what happened? You don't want to fix them, but finally one of your kids is running and the bottom of their foot gets snagged and rips off the skin and they bleed and bleed and bleed. And so then your wife looks at you. Has this happened to anybody else? You know what I'm talking about. If you didn't raise your hand, it's okay. Repent later for not telling the truth. Um, so, like, all of a sudden, if you take a, a screwdriver and go, here, knock all the nails in, it's going to be a hard job, isn't it? No, you want to get the right tool for the right job. That's another reason we struggle is because we're, we're not living as God intends, and so we're frustrated, and we're worn out, and we're tired. You're not nearly as tired when you're living in the way that God intends for you to live. But it takes a lot of courage to change your shoes to start living differently than what you've been doing previously. It takes a lot of courage to do that. But hopefully we can man up and do that together. The best use for any object is the use for which it was intended. And to find significance, you need to figure out your purpose, what you are made for. You're always going to be frustrated when you're living a life in which you know God does not intend for you to live. And so we have to discover what that is. We have to discover that purpose, that calling, that sense in which all men are alike. God gives us all this universal purpose of really representing who he is. Here are some of these things for us in terms of our purpose that we need to start talking about. Um, and some of us is talking about our relationships. One is we need to love the king. It's the great commandment, by the way. You know, we talk about horizontal, I would say, is relationships with others and, and with the church, but the vertical relationship is the one that we have with God. You see, I think everything changes um, when we really start enhancing our vertical relationship with who God is. He is king. And the more you understand that he really is king and he's the author, the perfecter of life, when you've sub it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to submit to it. We don't like that language, I know, because we want to always be in control of everything ourselves. 
Be careful with that. It's also called pride and arrogance. But when we really surrender and submit to who he is as king, then everything changes for us. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body. That means in every fiber, every bit of who you are, you need to be striving to understand your purpose and your identity in Christ. Like we, have, we have an average of about 75 or 80 years on this earth. I would challenge every one of you for the next month to, to, to truly go, you know what, I'm going to give all of my mind, body, soul, strength to discovering who God is. No matter what that response is after a month, but to not do that, you're cheating yourself if you believe that there is a God. To get to the end of your life and go, you know what, I kind of believe there is a God, but I didn't think he was worth really discovering and really knowing what he wants and desires for me. You're, it's just it's a cheap way out. You're going to be held accountable for that. Spend the next month diving in to what you think the shoes God really wants you to wear are. Discovering what you think God's shoes really look like for you and what your life is supposed to be. We need to have a reorientation of our heart and our mind. Are you willing to go home and say, honey, I want us to have a reorientation of our heart and mind to discover together who we really believe God is and who Christ is and how that impacts our family. Because if he really created everything and he created us, do we, do we believe that we're now living as God intends if that's who he actually is? Or are we wearing the same spiritual shoes that we wore 23 years ago when we got married? And they actually have the courage, the, the spiritual audacity to ask the question. It's a matter of turning from self-reliance to Christ. It's a matter of turning from self-reliance to God. And nothing will keep you from really trying to focus on who God is. I think about Job. Job lost all of his investments. He lost his business. Right? He lost his social status. He lost his health. He lost his beloved family. And when his wife actually came to him and said, hey, why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? Can you imagine that? You're at your lowest point. Maybe you've had the same business forever and, and something happens and you lose the business and all these things start to unravel. And the, your wife comes to you and says, why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? Like I'd hear the curse God and go, honey, what happened to you? But then when she says, and die, I'd go, whoa, wait a, wait a second. My wife doesn't even get the fact I don't have a life insurance plan, right? You got to step back and go, wait, what is this? And that's how we are. When things start to get going difficult and things are hard, and all of a sudden we step back and go, why shouldn't I just curse God? I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to try to figure out who he is. Here's Job's response. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept God or should we accept good from God and not trouble? Here's the thing, I want us to have that kind of passion for God, that regardless of what the world may drop in front of us, the good or the bad, we are still just having a zeal, a fervor for Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? Guys, there's 170 of you in here. 
in the summer. Right? Summer ends tomorrow, but it's summer. You know what would happen if 170 men caught a fire of Holy Spirit? I can tell you what happened when 12 did. Changed the world. You know what would happen if we had 170 men willing to change spiritual shoes? And put on some boots and do some dirty work? Have some hard conversations with our spouses? Have some hard conversations with our children? Have some hard conversations with our business partners and go, you know what, I know it's legal, but it sure doesn't feel godly. And I can't do it anymore. God has called us to more. That's called significance, by the way, which every man's looking for. Another way we find purpose is really to love the king's children. To love the king's children. The new, that's the new commandment, right? In John chapter 13, 33 and 34... Uh, Jesus Christ, again, that's John 13, 33, 34. Jesus Christ is speaking and he comes, right? And he says, hey, I've got a new commandment for you. Right? Because we know that the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. The second greatest is to love thy neighbor as yourself, right? But he says, no, I've got a new commandment for you. I want you to love others as I have loved you. That's sacrificial love. He died for you. He's saying, I want you to love other people with that much intensity. I want you to love other people before you keep trying to correct other people. So we need to love the king's children. We need to be able to do that. We need to influence the culture. You could also put to tend the culture, to influence the culture. That's the cultural commission that we have from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Guys, there's no, here's, the, here's if you boil this up and what you go, what's left over, right? Here's what's left over. Our faith is to be separated from nothing else in our life. It's who you are. You can't say, here's my compartment of faith. Here's my compartment of work. Here's my compartment of family. Here's my compartment of friends. Here's my compartment of wealth. Is everything is related to your understanding of God. Everything is related to your understanding of where you find your significance. And there's no separation. You can't separate the faith from anything else. You can't say, hey, some stuff is secular, some stuff is sacred. Everything we do, every action we have, every word that we speak should be worship to the Almighty God. The way we treat our spouse, the way we treat the kids, the way we have relationships, the way we conduct business, it's all a matter of worshiping God. It's all sacred. That's Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, it doesn't say in some things. That's why people say all the time. Every, I tell my kids, they, they know it. Everything you do, and they go, says something about you. We know. Well, why do we believe that everything you do says something about you? Because Colossians, Paul said it. 
Well, what's it say? Dad, we'll get there, I promise. Well, tell me. Oh, my goodness. And then they literally, my son says, God, God also says to the parents, don't exasperate your children. <laughs> I used to have eight kids. Just kidding. He literally told me that one day. He walks with the limp. We are to be the ones who are influencing the culture. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Another thing that we need to do is we really need to, like, if you really want to find your purpose, if you really want to know what that is, you need to build the kingdom. Fred, should I tell him what I was telling you yesterday? I don't know. I feel like I need to. I know I'm running out of time. I got like 10 minutes or so. Why don't we want to give more to God's kingdom? I'm not talking, by the way, I'm not talking necessarily financially. Like we give so much energy to so many things other than God's kingdom, don't we? And we go, well, that's just, the, you know, I'm trying to be a good steward of everything and keep everything nice and neat for myself. And I can retire with the right security financially, but also as long as my driveway's nicely blown off, I'm good. And like I feel better about life. Why don't we care about doing that with the kingdom of God? Right? We hold so much back from God. And I know that I'm in West Michigan right now, but it's really no different. I've lived in six different states. It's really no different in any of those states in which I've lived. And I tell people all the time, and it's hit me so hard lately. God's reminded me, you know what? You know how much God held back from us? Nothing. Like, he could have been like, I'm going to give you some small little rolling hills, but instead he gives us the Rocky Mountains. He could have given us a 100-acre lake, but instead he gives us Lake Michigan. Right? He held nothing back from the beginning of creation from us. You want to talk about holding nothing back? He gave his son. He couldn't be like, you can have those guys over there. Even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can take them. Moses, sure, you can take that guy. Paul, you can have him, but you're not taking my son. No, God held nothing back. And we are always holding back for ourselves as men today. I say no more. He gave everything. Let's give everything to him. 170 men who declare to do that, I promise, will change West Michigan. But then we go home and we think about it and we go, you know what? I really don't want to change spiritual shoes. They're too cramped when I put, like, it's hard to get my foot in there. But at least I know what it's going to feel like. At least I know what it's going to feel like. You see, we, we have a calling in life. We're all unique. God makes us in a certain way. Ephesians 2 talks about how he, we're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Another translation would say we're his handiwork. Isn't that cool? My father just passed away a month ago. And... Uh, my parents kept downsizing houses. They had just bought a, two years ago a 1,300-square-foot house. And then he's like, well, I guess I should build a workshop. So then he builds an 1,100-square-foot workshop. No comment on that part. 
But I walked in and everything was as he left it. He had, my father had never encountered any experience that he had not had as a hobby in his life. Um, and he had all these little Dremel tools and everything laid out on this huge workbench with all the little wood carvings. He'd take a block of wood and carve it into an owl or a, some type of animal. And they're all sitting there exactly the same. Nobody would touch it when we got to the house. And I mean, they were intricate. I was like, I didn't know he could do this. My mom said, neither did I. I mean, they were detailed. And that's what God's done for us. He's, he's been intricate in designing us to live with purpose in a certain way, to live according to his will and his desire for our life. And we're not even willing to give it enough attention to figure out what that could be. We're so busy building our own kingdom, we're not willing to start even to consider the kingdom that we could be building for the all-time might. He's the mighty God. We don't even think about it. I've got one friend. He lives in Connecticut, Allen. I think he said he has like 43 different business proposals that he's written up of different business ideas he has. And I just, finally one day I just said, man, I, I want to know something, because I enjoy doing some of that stuff as well. But I told him, I said, what's your spiritual plan? Are you willing to spend as much? And you talk about how you'll get an idea in your head, and you'll stay up until 4 a.m. You're writing out a new business proposal of something that could be amazing. It could take off. It could go. And, and you've got so much energy being poured into it. When was the last time you gave that much energy to a spiritual plan for your life to serve God Almighty? Are you willing to give that time? Are you willing to give that energy? That's what it's really about for us. You can even ask these questions as I, as I begin to conclude here. You can answer these questions. Who am I? Who am I? And what is the purpose of my life? And if you can answer those questions, you know what will happen is you'll be able to determine really the way you need to pursue significance in your life. Who am I and what's the, what is the purpose of my life? It, deter, it determines how you pursue that significance and what that really is for you. What's it going to be for you? Until we correctly answer the question, whose am I? We will not correctly answer the question of who am I. Um, I was, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, if you're new here. Uh, I have the honor and the privilege of, of leading this church along with some amazing other individuals who serve here. You're about to hear from one of them, Pastor Jim, in just a moment. And I have that, that I'm blessed to be able to do what I do. I tell you, I got, I've got a wonderful, wonderful job. But I'll tell you right now, and as much as I tell you that because you know I'm going to be biased but I really don't care where you come from in terms of your faith right now. You need to hear this. You belong to God. You can deny it all you want, but you belong to God. You can be the prodigal son and run as far away from him as you possibly can. The reason you may not even return home because you're not eating with pigs. You're not eating with swine. You might have made it and you might have... You might have taken your inheritance and you gambled it and you won. So you're fortunate for your 70 years, but it may impact where you are for eternity. 
You belong to God. And when you recognize you belong to God, then you can discover who you really are supposed to be. We need to answer that question and answer it well. Until we correctly answer the question, who is the purpose of my life, we're not going to answer the question of what is the purpose of my life very well. The purpose of my life is to serve Jesus Christ. And it, guys, it doesn't matter what I do for a living. I've done real estate in the past. I've worked from Nabisco as a sales rep uh, in the past. I've done a little bit of everything, right? I started at a young age. I, I had the wonderful, fortunate opportunity to, to be raised in a family that didn't have very much. So I had to pay for everything. And so I started working hard at 12, 13 years old, and I paid for it all. And I loved it, actually. It was good for me. I probably cut about 120 truckloads of firewood. Pays for a lot of car insurance, right? And you just do whatever you have to do. But you do it because God's created you in a certain way. And I recognize that it doesn't matter if I'm, a, if I'm cutting firewood for a living. It doesn't matter if I'm with Nabisco or in real estate. It doesn't matter if I'm working in businesses in a different capacity or if I'm pastoring this church. My purpose in life is the same. It is to glorify Jesus. Ask yourself this, in the last week and what you're doing for a living, how have you brought glory to Jesus? How have you brought glory to God? And what does that really look like? If you're on your own, your happiness will be the purpose of your life, and you're not going to find it very well. But if you're in Christ, he'll be the purpose of your life. And you have to make that decision before you can really go any further. It doesn't matter how many tools that I give you. It doesn't matter how many sheets of paper we pass out. It doesn't matter how much brisket you can eat. If you're not willing to recognize, first and foremost, that you belong to God and that you really want to discover what spiritual shoes could look like in your own life, nothing else is going to matter. If you don't have ears that can hear, then nothing else really matters. You need, you need to pursue significance in a right way. You need to be able to make sure that you're doing that. It needs to come from the overflow of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem is too many of us are doing it the wrong way. We're wanting God to serve us before we trust him. Is that anybody? Well, God, if you do this for me first, I'm so glad Job didn't do that. Aren't you? I mean, think about it. First time something doesn't go the way we need it to go, we start blaming God. I tell people that when I'm doing premarital counseling all the time, right? I've had somebody, literally, I've said, hey, listen, how are you doing sexually? Because sometimes it can be hard when you get married and they go, oh, we're already having sex. It's like, what do you believe that God thinks that's wrong? Yeah, we do, but it's just what the world does. I said, well, do you believe God should bless your marriage? Well, yeah, you should bless our marriage. Well, if you don't think God's blessing your marriage, you think you'll get angry at God? Yeah, I already, I didn't go to church for a few years because I didn't think God was being very good to me. So you want to be disobedient to God but then be able to have the right to get mad at God when he doesn't do what you want him, what, he, what you, he wants you to do. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I never thought of it that way. I mean, aren't, we're just arrogant. You have to make a decision of whether or not you really want to try on some different shoes. You need to give up finding significance in the wrong things. 
Some of you don't think there's any hope for you to turn your life around. I want to tell you right now, you're wrong if you feel that way. God can redeem anyone at any time from anything. doesn't matter. That's how wonderful and how great he really is. Some of you are still seeking and you're looking, but you haven't found anything yet. I just want to make sure that you understand that God's called you to more than you. God's called you to more than you. That's not on your notes. You can just write it down. God's called you to more than you. He's called you to wear greater shoes. Are you willing to try them on? It's a decision that you have to make. Are you willing to try them on? I'm going to ask my friend Nathan to come forward. I want us just to sing a couple of choruses together. And then I'm going to let you guys break up, and we're going to have an opportunity to have some discussion. And the discussion questions are there for you. And uh, I hope that you'll be honest with one another as you are able to have the opportunity to discuss these things. Uh, if you don't already know, this is Pastor Nathan. He's our prayer and worship pastor here at Chapel Point. Amazing man of God. Um, so thanks for doing this, friend. And uh, why don't we just go ahead and stand and sing a couple songs together. I'll go ahead and tell you, I think a bunch of men singing is the most, one of the most beautiful sounds out there. Uh, so let's sing to our God.
God, I pray that every single man in this room will be willing to put on some new spiritual shoes. Maybe to try you on for the first time in their life to say, you know what, I know there's more out there. And I'm searching for purpose, I'm searching for significance, and I need to find it. And so God, I ask that you would give them the courage they need. Because the majority in this world will tell them not to even try. They may have a spouse who doesn't want them to try on a new spiritual shoe of understanding and surrendering submitting to Jesus. But I pray that, God, you will make every single one of these men stronger today than they've ever been before. More courageous today than they've ever been before. That you would allow them to understand there's a, there's a greater significance in you than anything that they could find in themselves. And so, Lord, let them try on some new spiritual shoes. And I pray, God, that they'll find so much comfort in those new shoes that they'll wear them out. <laughs> and that they'll have to keep graduating to larger shoes, to more more significant, substantial shoes, more and more that they'll try on some new spiritual shoes. Give them the courage. Give them the courage. Give them the courage. Give them the courage to acknowledge it, God. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you guys this evening during the first session. Um, go ahead. You're going to have about 15, 20, about 15 to 20 minutes to go through those discussion questions around the table. So let's go ahead and do that together now, okay?